Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. So we're, we're starting this series called Intentional. Actually, we're continuing on in, in this series called Intentional. And, and this is, we're looking at what it means to have a life that is purposeful, that, you know, we consider the characteristics of, of what it's like to be a, a follower of Jesus. And, and we're also looking into some of the lesser known characters in the Bible who demonstrate this, this kind of life. And so today we're going to consider the life of Titus. Titus was a disciple of Paul. He and Timothy were partners with Paul. And Titus was stationed on the strategic island of Crete, which is near Greece in the Mediterranean. Titus's role was to go to Crete and to restore order to a number of the churches that were there on the island. Now, Crete was considered strategic because it had many harbors that, uh, that service many of the cities all over the Mediterranean. I just, I just show this so you have an idea of where it is on the globe. And so, so th- this, was a, this was a place where, where if you are a follower of Jesus and you could share your faith with other people, then it could spread throughout the Mediterranean. But there was trouble in the churches around the island. And so Titus was sent with instructions to to restore order and give direction to the Cretan Christians. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute. But first, I want to cast a little vision for us here in Westerville and New Albany. I moved, many of you know this, I moved to, to, to this area in 2007, and I lived in a lot of other places before this. I grew up in Dallas, I, I moved to Waco for a while, then to South Texas, then I, I met my wife in Kentucky, we lived in Florida, and then we came up here. And I, I've got to tell you, I, I, when I moved here in 2007, I was really struck by how different this place is than all of the other places that that I lived in. And there's something unique about Columbus. You know, this isn't a flashy town, but it's got a ton to brag about, right? It's it's not the largest city, but it's got tremendous resources. It's not the most connected city, but but there's a deep sense of community and belonging here in the suburbs. And and I want to speak to the suburbs for a second. Columbus is home to, uh, to some of the most sought-out suburbs in the, in the nation. We've made investments in our communities, which means that, that people, they want to come and they want to live here. With the amount of quality universities and other schools that we have, the amount of research, science, and medical facilities that are around us, all the other industries that are successful in, in, in this area, and then you top off all of that wonderful stuff with a, a quality of life that is, is really at such a low cost, This area that we live in is highly sought out as a place to put down roots and raise a family. Columbus is. And specifically, with all the growth of the quality suburbs that are are here on the northeast side of Columbus, Quest is in a significantly strategic location for sharing the gospel and bringing more people into the kingdom of God and then having the opportunity to send them out from this place into the Midwest and beyond. So people come here to raise a family. And Quest has this opportunity to participate in the formation of the Christian moral ethic of those families. Once again, if you're interested in in volunteering with the Children's or Student Ministry, let me know. I'd love to bring you in and um, give you that chance. 
So, the instructions that Paul sent Titus to Crete with have direct implications for us here in Northeast Columbus. If we were to follow the pattern of life that, that Titus brings to Crete, then we have a greatest chance at making a significant impact for the kingdom of God here in Westerville and New Albany and Gehanna and the, the surrounding areas. Over the last four or five years, I, I've wrestled with why God has called me to work in a suburban church. And, and I, I don't mean specifically this one, not Quest, but, but just in general. And, and it's not because I, I didn't like it, but because it really it feels safe. It feels easy to do ministry in, in the suburbs. Most of the vocal leaders about mission success and church growth success indicate that it's smarter for people to be in city centers and specifically that pastors should be in large city centers. And so what this meant for me is that I felt this tinge of dissatisfaction with the vocational calling that's been on my life to be in suburbia. It's almost like there's this voice in my head that has said that, that my success is limited by my location. And then I started to begin to think about this place, about Columbus, about Westerville, about Quest. And, and I, I don't know if you're as dense as I am. I'm, I'm really not that bright. Uh, I'm not trying to be self-deprecating. I just rely on the information that people give me most of the time. Uh, but I just found out, did you know that over 50% of our nation's population lives in the suburbs? I didn't know that. And, and so what this means is that we have an opportunity, especially with the growth boom that we're experiencing all around Quest, we have an opportunity that is incredibly unique. And by the way, there are going to be people that suggest that the population is moving back to, to city centers. And that's partially true. However, here in Columbus, and this is really specific to us, living in the city center is not sustainable. There's food deserts that are all around our, our city. The issue of transportation is, a, is an issue, um, issue of housing. And, and because of the investment that so many people have made in the outlying suburbs, families will always be drawn out to them. We are living in a location with unending potential for kingdom growth. It's all around us. And our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to be the kind of people that live in such a way that the community around us is drawn to how we live our lives. When Jesus says, you are to be the salt of the earth, this is exactly what he means. Now, are you with me? Are you interested in coming along on this journey and seeing how what Titus has to say to us can help us here in Columbus? It's good. You're good. Okay, the few of you that said yes, great. The rest of you, get out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, please don't leave. Listen to what I'm going to say. Uh, let, me, let me open this up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, hmm. God, we are, we are thankful that you choose to partner with us. We are broken. We are flawed. We're susceptible to lies. We chase after things that you don't want for us, but still you choose to partner with us. So thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the blessings that you promised to us. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to you, that we'd be diligent in what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we would live lives worthy of the calling that you have given to us. And today, as we open up this study of Titus, 
Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. That you would encourage us. That you would stir in our spirits. You would move us to be the kinds of people that are the light of the world. That people are drawn to. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, the setting of the book of Titus, which by the way, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up and follow along with me. Titus is a, is a short letter. It's, it's like only three chapters, and, and so there's probably plenty of room in your Bible to take notes, but I always encourage you to, to, to read along with me if you can. In fact, this, this letter is so short, we could read the entire thing, and I'd still have time for a 30-minute sermon. I'm not going to do that today. You know, so we're going to take a moment to just talk about the culture that Titus was up against. And you and I might think that we have an, an uphill battle with the culture that we're in, but Crete, it set the standard for so much bad that we actually still use language and colloquialisms that refer to the lifestyle of the Cretans, right? You Cretans. How many of you have ever said that or heard that? And Crete had a culture that was ruled by violence, by treachery, and by sexual immorality. So, so Paul, even, he warns Titus about the Cretan people. In chapter 1, verse 12, Paul writes this. Cretans are always liars. They're evil brutes. They're lazy gluttons. This was a saying that was well known uh, in the, the time of, of Titus. And so in essence, what this means is that, that Titus has this task of reorganizing these churches and sharing the gospel of Christ without hesitation. He has to be bold about it. He must not lack clarity or weakness. It, it's, it's, a, it's an unambiguous job that he has. Titus has to stand out from the culture and he has to raise believers who will do the same thing. They had to be distinctive. They had to be convicted of what they believed about Jesus. And, and it had to be something, their faith had to be something that would persevere under pressure. So this is essentially what Titus is up again is there's this two-front war that's happening in Crete. So Titus had the pagan culture that he was up against that Paul references in verse 12, full of violent, self-pleasing liars. But he also had to deal with this group of, of false teachers, these leaders within the church that were rebellious, they were ruining households with their teaching. Uh, and these leaders, they were doing it for their own gain. So there was nothing distinguishable about their lives as Christian teachers and leaders of these churches that separated them from the other people. So essentially, there's two sets of culture and thought leaders guiding the Cretan Christians down a wrong path. Both of which these people had bought into a lie that, that the enemy said that life as they knew it was really about self-satisfaction and selfish gain. And so the result for the church was that they had a, a group of new converts to Christianity who were being taught that the life that they should live didn't need to be distinctive. It didn't need to be any, anything different than the non-believers. The new life of Christ, it was essentially no different from the old life before Christ. There was nothing compelling about that message. It was weak. It was timid. And so Titus's goal is to establish leaders in the church who are worthy of respect. They themselves are self-controlled. They're faithful. They're peaceable. And they're able to disciple their families to be the same, to be just like Christ. So imagine, if you will, a, a culture that's saturated with selfishness, with lies, 
with violence. The island of Crete was a place where the the citizens were turbulent. They fought against each other. They stole from each other. They lied to each other. They challenged authority all the time. Uh, This was a culture and a society that lacked any essence of peace or unity. and, And the concept of family and community did not exist, which meant that if Titus could raise up leaders within the church there who were about peace, who were about unity, who were truly about the things of Christ, that their lives would be compelling to those who were not believers. And then you, you add to all the difficulty that the people who were leading those churches before Titus, they were out for their own gain. And so Titus has this responsibility to guide the church in Crete to be different, to stand out, to live in such a way that the outsiders would ultimately be attracted to the Christian way of life. And, and another way to say this is Titus was responsible for raising up believers who believed and lived trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and they were making their lifestyle choices based on those teachings. So our core scripture for today is in chapter 3 of Titus, verses 1 through 8. And this is the way that Paul explains how the church needed to be and how the people within the church needed to be. He says this, and the words are on the screen, you can follow along. He said, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Then he goes on to say this, at one time, we too were foolish, we were disobedient, we deceived and enslaved, we were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. In Crete, and we find this to be true all over, not only in Scripture, but today, uh, that, that while people knew who Jesus was, though they believed in him, They were still willing to trade his truth that living according to his teaching and principles will bring blessing. They were willing to trade that for the lie that serving ourselves is more beneficial. And this is a subtle lie. It follows this path. It begins with temptation. We see something that that we like, that we're interested in, and we think it's going to make our life even better. And so we we start to to pursue that. And this happened with the Cretans. They saw people around them that were growing in status. They were they were gaining wealth, and 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 they 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 thought what they saw was happiness, and they were deceived by that, and they they were tempted by it, and so they slipped into this behavior that was out of line from Christianity, and then they begin to sin. And sin leads to slavery. But the only way to defeat slavery is through truth. 
Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, he says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, the enemy, the enemy wants to keep us deceived. His sole purpose is to destroy all the things in our life that are good. And the things in our life that are good are those things that point to Christ. When we live like he did, that's when we experience good. See, the the Christian life, it it has a, a double dynamic. Titus and Timothy and Paul, they were all rescued from a life that was similar to that of the Cretans. That's why Paul writes about that. You know, some of us in this room, we probably understand this reality pretty well. And with that comes an appreciation for the new life that exists in Christ. We can see the difference between what we used to live and how we live now. But there are some of us, and this includes me, we've grown up near the kingdom of God. It's been around us all along, and and we don't necessarily know what life is truly like apart from Christ, and so we're willing to see some of those things out there and be tempted by them. And this is a challenge, and I I actually think that suburbia, the suburbs, they're an excellent metaphor for this kind of life, right? So think about it this way. You know, things here in the suburbs, they, they seem really easy on the surface, You know, we have space and safety. We've got big yards and fences that are protecting us. Um, People walk around with smiles while they're walking their dog, even though they have to pick up the droppings right after it. They gather on patios with drinks in their hands. They walk out of the grocery store with carts full of food. Everything seems delightful, right? But there's this underbelly in the suburbs. Hidden struggles that that are real and dark. The striving of life, it still exists, but it's often masked by consumption. You know, there's this this hole inside of us that we want to try and fill because we think if we can put more stuff into our lives, it's going to make it better. And we try and fill it with all kinds of stuff. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a bigger house. Maybe it's a new car. Maybe it's a successful career. Maybe it's just helping our kids to have a wonderful life, a, a great future for our children. There's, there's endless ways that we try to find contentment and happiness. But when we can't find it, and we will never find it apart from God, that's when we start to result to other things to medicate the problems in our lives. We turn to alcohol, we turn to sex, we turn to pills, we turn to all kinds of stuff. And Paul's words to Titus, they're they're direct and they're bold because he's confronting this. He's saying there's nothing that can bring us to a place of satisfaction outside of God. He is the only one that will save us from any kind of striving that exists in our lives. And, And here's the thing that Titus is responsible to bring to Crete. You know, it's, it's this truth that life apart from God is full of foolishness, it's full of disobedience, it's full of slavery, malice, envy, and hatred. Any way it appears to us, whether openly or discreetly, a life separate from God will never satisfy us. However, through God's grace, we can live a new life washed and regenerated in the Holy Spirit. And this is the good news. This is good news that that our world needs to hear, not only from our words, but also they need to see it in our actions and our good works. See, the church has a responsibility to live in such a way that the outside world notices the difference that Christ has made in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
This is what Paul was saying. Titus, you need to make sure is happening in Crete. There's another way to say this, and I want to I want to quote um, William Barclay. William is a uh, I should say Doctor Barclay. He's a New Testament interpreter, theologian. He's a guy that I read often when I'm preparing sermons, and uh, he says this. He says all of the work of the church, all of the words of the church, all of the sacraments of the church are inoperative unless the power of the Holy Spirit is there. However highly a church be organized, however splendid its ceremonies may be, however beautiful its buildings, all is ineffective without that power of the Holy Spirit. And the lesson is clear, Barclay says. Revival in the church comes not from increased efficiency in organization, but from waiting upon God. It's only in his presence that we will ever experience renewal or revival or satisfaction in life. We must rely on the Holy Spirit for that power um, that will allow us to live our lives so dramatically different for the world to see. I know in my own experience, um, I've struggled with this. This is, this is something that uh, in my most recent, recent season of life that I've, I've gained a renewed vision for my personal mission in the suburbs because I've noticed that my life looked very similar to everyone around me. Internally, emotionally, I was still striving for something that I didn't have. And for me, that was security, but it could be anything for anyone, right? I, I, was, I was looking for all kinds of, of places to find that security. I was looking into all kinds of things that would help me to feel as if I was standing firm. But as many of us have experienced during COVID, all of those things that I was building started to crumble and fall apart dismantled right before me. And in that moment, instead of turning to God and handing my fear and anxiety over to him, my disappointment to him, like I had been preaching for years from this pulpit and in the youth ministry saying, go to God whenever you're struggling with those things. I didn't do it. I myself wasn't doing, I was deceived by the lie from the enemy that the answer that I was looking for could be found apart from God. And I I had to took this, this hard look at my life because I couldn't distinguish a difference in how I was living from anyone else that was out there. I I was envious, I was gluttonous, I was angry. And I knew people who were not Christians that were living a life that was more admirable than mine. And that was a gut check for me. See, I know as a follower of Jesus that my actions should point people to the throne of God. That's what I'm responsible for. But my life wasn't. My life was not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. I wasn't living in the truth that the life with Jesus has set me free from a need to strive for all of those things. That it set me free from my fear, from my anxiety, or or from the sense that I'm unworthy uh, of being loved. You know, these these are not the things like satisfaction in Jesus is something that we don't have to wait for in eternity. These are things that are promised to us here in this life. Christianity doesn't confine its blessings to the future. This is really good news, by the way. The blessings of Jesus are for us here in the present. Christianity offers us here and now a life of quality that we've never known before. And you may ask, Jeremy, how do you know that? How do you know that? And even though I have a short-term memory... And I forget those things sometimes. I can remember moments in my life when I was living close to Jesus. 
when I was sitting at his feet and I was experiencing the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, and the self-control in my life. And, and I could pre- precisely articulate the difference between joy and happiness. Even in the midst of sorrow, I knew what a good life was like. And this, this is something that I want for my family. This is what I want for my wife, for my, my son and my two daughters. This is what I want for the students in this church and for this congregation to understand what it means to experience the life that Jesus has promised us. And the, the very best way that I can pass that on to my family, to the students in this church, to you, is to start every day right at the feet of Jesus. Sounds simple, but that is the truth. And it's possible that, that you're right here with me and you're experiencing some of the things that are possibly leading you to question whether a life of Jesus is really worth it. And the thoughts, they come quickly, right? They, they come subtly. Often it'll sound like this, hey, hey, you deserve to be happy. You know that, that thing in your life that's making you unhappy, it's time for you to get rid of it. It's time to, to shift away from those things that aren't bringing you joy. You need to find ones that will. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, um, but it's something that I hear all the time, that, that we need to be throwing out things in our lives that don't bring us joy. And let me tell you right now, that is a lie from the pit of hell. This is, this is a lie that existed way before the fad of decluttering our homes came about. Um, I'm not referring to that specifically. I'm referring to the idea that we are not happy. If we're not happy in this present moment, then we need to get rid of our circumstances and find better ones. This is the, the grass is greener kind of stuff that we're talking about. And this is the lie. This lie is the very reason that we have such a high rate of divorce in our country. This lie is the reason that abortion exists in our country. This is a lie that leads to death. And I promise you, no one starts down this path thinking, I can't wait to make a seriously bad decision for my life. I can't wait to end up with regret. But that's ultimately where this lie leads. It leads to sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. And it's simply this, an unwillingness to trust that what God wants for us is what is actually best for us. God is the only thing that will bring about true happiness in our life. But following Jesus, it takes discipline. It takes self-control. And this is something that we read again and again in Titus. Living in such a way that others see a difference is ultimately hard work. It requires discipline. It requires self-control. But it's a life that, that has immense power to, to turn people to Jesus. And I, I want us to, to think about family for a moment and apply these words of Paul. Uh, and so let me go back to what he said. He says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Now, just a day in the life of a family can show us how much work that will take. You know, from the moment we wake up, we are bombarded with challenges in how we treat one another. Just think about it. You know, 
Coffee hasn't even finished brewing, but we're already stewing about uh, the trouble that our oldest got into yesterday at school. By the way, this is all hypothetical. This is nothing that's happened to me recently. You know, you might be in this moment where, where you have a, a kid who, who is frustrated with how their clothes feel on their skin and they won't stop complaining about it. Our, our schedules are busy but they have to be adjusted because another one of our children was exposed to COVID at school and the school's policy is to quarantine even though their test came back negative. Hypothetical. This has never happened to me. The dog in our house won't stop barking at the neighbor's cat who's currently relieving himself in our flower garden. Mothballs help take care of that, by the way. Not that I would know, it's just Google search will tell you that. All of this stuff, right? It's, it's before the school bus has even arrived. You see, for me, in my mind, I, I want to come down heavy-handed and, and have everyone follow my rules of the house, that there's no talking at the breakfast table before 8 a.m. I don't want to hear it. Only my voice, only my thoughts, right? But that doesn't sound peaceable. That doesn't sound considerate. That's not gentle behavior. So I have to find a discipline in my life that creates the fruit of those behaviors. Did you catch the phrase from Paul? He says that we have to be ready to do whatever is good. And for us to be ready means that we cannot be reactive when things come at us. We have to be responsive. And response, it comes from a place of preparation. A response is designed to produce a certain kind of outcome. And for Christians, for those of us who follow Jesus, the outcome is ultimately to be like Jesus, to be peaceable, to be considerate, to be gentle. And I think it's interesting that the very next thought that Paul writes about is a recognition of where we have come from. He says this, he says, at one time we too were foolish that we were disobedient, we were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. See, we too were lost. We too were deceived. And this recognition, it helps us to create a response to the people around us. They are not the enemy. They've been deceived by the enemy. And they're just living in the midst of that deception. But we have the truth as followers of Jesus. And when we live the truth through our preparation, our discipline, our communing with the Father, when we remember the work that he's done for us, that he has our very best intentions for us, then those who are deceived might see the light of that truth lived out in our lives. You and I. We have a responsibility as Christians to live as Christ did. And it's possible that we are believing some lies that prevent us from living that way. And so today, my plea is this. I want you to consider your life. Consider the fact that you might believe a lie that the enemy has told you that prevents you from from believing the promise of the Father from living in such a way that that people can look to your life and say, that looks very different than than what I see around me, where we point others to Christ. And we're about to close with a final song of worship. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in a place where you're you're thinking, man, I want to do that. 
I want to start to live a life of self-control, of discipline. I want to be a light to the people around me. I want to have a distinctive life. And I I personally want to pray for you. And I'm going to invite you to to come right down here and just come meet with me. I'll pray for you, pray a prayer of blessing over your life and encourage you. And if that's not you, that's okay. We're going to have other moments to pray after this service. But but I just want to encourage those of you who do want to, to come down here. Let me pray for you. Let me... Let me close this with a word of prayer. I'm going to encourage you all to stand um, as we finish this morning. Lord, we thank you that while we were still deceived, even in the midst of that deception, the, the, the brokenness of our lives, the, the anger, the malice, the, the disobedience, whatever it is that separated us from you, that you still came to us. That you asked us the question, where are you? That you told us that you wanted to be in relationship with us. Thank you for your mercy, for your kindness, for your love. And Lord, I thank you for every person in this room who's accepted that mercy and that love. And I pray that that we might be people who continually turn back to you, that the discipline of our lives is to meet with you as much as we can, Lord. And I pray for those people who are here this morning who may not understand this, who may not believe it, who may not, they're just working it out. I pray that you would, would reveal to them your truth of your love, and the life that you want for them. And Lord, I pray that they would receive it here today. Continue your good work, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's continue to worship. If you'd like to receive prayer for this, I encourage you to come join me down here. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, Go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org slash give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.